And good evening, wherever you happen to be. This is a special edition of the Groovy Podcast, featuring an interview with Grails project leader, Graham Roche. Uh, in celebration of the Grails 3.1 release, I took a chance that Graham might be available, and he was kind enough to drop by for a quick podcast. Good morning, Graham. Good morning. Thanks I assume so for inviting me. It's probably afternoon where you are. Is that right? That is correct, yes. How are uh, things in Spain these days? Very good, yeah. Well, um, a bit rainy recently, but uh, otherwise good. Excellent. So are you largely working at home these days, or do you have a lot of travel that's going on? Uh, I'm largely based um, working from home, but uh, I travel for conferences and uh, client meetings and occasional travel, but um, mainly focused on engineering at this phase. Well, for those people who are not aware, uh, Graham was involved in the creation of Grails from the very beginning. Actually, I do have to ask you about that. Uh, I've seen some statements from Guillaume Laforge where he pointed out he was there at the beginning as well. Uh, how did Grails come about? How did you get involved at the, uh, at the start of the project? So, um, if I recall, um, it was a discussion on the Groovy mailing list. Uh, to start a project, um, a rapid application development framework around the Groovy language. And um, I was one of the ones who took up the challenge. Um, so I think that Guillaume initiated that conversation on the Groovy mailing list. And I, I uh, ended up starting the project and taking it from there. Were you a Groovy committer at the time, or you just participated on the mailing list? I was not a Groovy committer at the time, no. Did you have a, a background? Well, what was your background at the time? What were you doing development-wise? So I was working for a um, company that we built uh, custom content and learning management systems. Um, and we were doing that with uh, mainly Spring, Hibernate, Java. <clears throat> And we were, because they were custom-built solutions, we were always looking for ways to um, improve the velocity of those projects. Um, so Groovy was a nice way to do that. Um, prior to that, I had used Groovy before extensively. Um, we had two parts of the business, one that produced uh, custom learning and content management systems, another part that actually produced uh, the content, uh, e-learning e content and courses. Um, and I used Groovy to write a essentially a code generator that generated um, e-learning material from Word documents. So it took a Word document and using Groovy ran it through Apache POI and sped, up, sped out uh, XML, which then um, converted that into HTML, JavaScript, and the web UI and integration with the learning management systems and so forth. So I used Groovy to, to write that bit. It was essentially code generation. Um, so I had got some experience with code generation at that point, um, particularly using Groovy, um, which then obviously I used uh, Grails as well. I remember Apache POI. I used it briefly for a while. Do you remember what that stood for? No idea. 
believe it or not, it was supposed to be poor obfuscation interface. All right. <laughs> My favorite was uh, in order to interact with Excel spreadsheets, they had something called HSSF, which mm -hmm. stood for horrible spreadsheet format. All right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's that's a very interesting. So uh, you've been involved in the project the whole time. Uh, they've gone through many, many releases. I remember the, the first Grails book that I read was um, Jared Rudolph's uh, book, the, the one that came through the little mini book that he published through InfoQ, the Getting right, Started yeah. with Grails. But the second one I read, that led me directly to, to your very first edition of the Definitive Guide to Grails. Right. Yeah, that was Grails 0.3. I right. I think it was, yeah, that's right, 0 0.3. I couldn't believe it. Uh, and yet, it was still really, really good. I really liked the book. I liked the framework. Uh, I'd spent some time with Ruby on Rails, so I was familiar with the concepts behind it. But I really liked Ruby much, much better. Um, so how did, that, how did that come about? Did you approach APRESS? Did somebody approach you? You just thought it would be a good idea? Uh, no. Um, APRESS uh, approached me after a Java Java one talk, I think it was. Uh, so um, yeah, they they asked whether I wanted to write a book on the topic, and I said, uh, okay, sounds like a good idea. Little did I know how much work <laughs> was involved in writing a book, uh, which it is a lot of work. Um, so, um, but it was fun, and you know, I think there's been three editions of the book. Well. I remember the second edition that came out, uh, suddenly you had the co-author, uh, Jeff Brown, did a lot of the work on that one. Is that correct? I, I think that's when he joined, right? Yeah, I think we, um, in the second book, we we split, uh, We uh, he was my co-author, so we did, um, uh, I'm not sure what the split was, maybe 70, 30. Um, and then on the third book, I believe he took most of the work on, um, and I contributed less. So, uh, just for those who aren't aware, the the first edition was called Definitive Guide to Grails (DGG), and mm -hmm. the second was Definitive Guide to Grails Second Edition. But then the third one was called Definitive Guide to Grails Two. Uh, right. So I always had to make sure to tell people to get the right one. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so that leads me to the inevitable question. Uh, will there be a third edition, a third version, something on Grails 3? Absolutely. We, I think that um, is definitely something we have been talking about internally um, and uh, figuring out a way to prioritize that. Um, it may be that we add a few more author, authors onto the list of authors and, and expand um, uh, the contributors involved in the project. Um, but yeah, we, we're aware that there needs to be more books on Grail 3, so um, we'll definitely it's something we'll be focusing on in the future. I'm glad to hear that. I, I know the Grails in Action people feel they've updated fairly recently, and uh, Dave, Dave Klein, his son Ben, did uh, the Grails 2, a quick start guide, and that was relatively recently as well. So I don't think anybody with the other major Grails books is ready to go to a, a Grails 3 book yet. Uh, so as you say, it's something that the, the community is really looking forward to. Sure. Uh, great. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Okay, just, so let's move directly to the Grails 3 and 3.1 release. Uh, so 
for those people who haven't seen the release notes yet or anything, uh, what do you consider the major new features in Grails 3.1? I guess the major one that has the most potential future potential is that in Grails 3.0, we introduced the notion of a, like a profile to model like a project structure and set of commands and uh, development environment. <clears throat> um, but that was kind of hard coded uh, in a way in that it wasn't extensible. Uh, so Grails 3.1 makes that fully extensible where you can now um, create your own prof profiles. Um, so for example, you could create a profile that was um, specific for the company that you work for, uh, adding a specific set of plugins for your organization or a specific database configuration that is a typical setup for your environment. Um, and that helps people get up and running and get, get going quickly when creating new projects and, and so on. Uh, and then building on that notion of making the profiles extensible, we of course have the um, REST profile, which essentially makes Grails more uh, focused on creating uh, REST applications without a web UI. So uh, that profile essentially strips away any of the kind of web-related features of Grails, um, like asset pipeline and, um, and uh, GSP and so on, and creates a setup that's uh, specifically focused on REST web services. Um, and instead of GSP views, you've got uh, what we call JSON views, so uh, views that you can define that are for um, uh, designed for the creation of uh, JSON responses, um, <clears throat> which is what you want uh, when creating REST web services. Uh, so, and then of course the AngularJS profile, which builds on top of the REST profile. So in, a, in an AngularJS app, you typically want to back onto a REST web service. Um, so that builds on top of that one and then provides uh, a development environment and a set of code generation facility tools for making it easy to get up and running with it, Grails and AngularJS. So those are the, 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 the real key features in the framework. And then, of course, alongside that, um, we released uh, GORM 5. Um, and uh, GORM 5 is a, a rewrite of, of GORM uh, to be based on uh, AST transforms and traits. Uh, so uh, that has a, a number of benefits in that it's easier to follow, debug into the, the GORM code itself. Um, it's more compile static compatible. Um, and um, uh, along with building all of that infrastructure out being based on traits, uh, we have a new, uh, new clean room implementation for MongoDB. Um, so that, that supports the MongoDB3 driver, which is far more optimized and faster and lower memory footprint. And then we have um, a implementation for Neo4j, which is um, GORM for Neo4j, which is for Neo4j 2.3 and above. Um, so the folks who are interested in graph databases uh, can use GORM with Neo4j as well. And of course, we upgraded uh, the uh, GORM for Hibernate to Hibernate 5. Um, so Hibernate 5 sport is there as well. So a whole bunch of new stuff there in Grails 3.1. I suppose I shouldn't admit this, but I really have no idea what the difference is in Hibernate 5 versus the earlier versions of Hibernate. Is there anything that changed how you go about things or changed what you were doing because of that? 
so they've optimized uh, startup time and metadata parsing quite a bit with Hibernate 5. Um, so in general, Grail 3.1 apps do uh, startup with lots of entities. Uh, Hibernate entities do startup a bit quicker. Um, and uh, there's some more new features around um, multi-tenancy and so forth, um, which we could look at leveraging further in the future. So it, it sounds like it affects things under the hood, but it won't uh, affect developers who are working with Grails directly. That's correct, yeah. OK, so it will change the performance characteristics as, as well, but that's about it. Now, uh, again, one of the big changes that happened when the move of Grails went to 3.0 was that now it's based on Spring Boot rather than just Spring itself. Is that correct? That is correct, yeah. So what do you think of Spring Boot? I mean, I've been digging into it periodically, uh, going over it. it. It's It feels like it's mostly just the auto configuration capabilities on a regular Spring app. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure, you know, what has uh, Grails done that has affected Spring Boot? Or maybe I should say that the other way around. How does the adoption of Spring Boot affect uh, what you do with Grails? So I think that um, Spring Boot is uh, an excellent project in that um, Spring provided a whole bunch of uh, useful utilities and classes out of the box, but the complexity complexity of them were such that it was very difficult to get up and going. Uh, so Spring Boot provides those kind of sensible defaults and more opinionated structure around Spring, which would what was needed. Um, and then on top of that, it provides some of the um, uh, ability to embed uh, Tomcat or Jetty or um, and so on uh, inside um, your application so you can just create runnable jar files um, so um, it's still very much an annotation driven approach uh, and there's no conventions like in Grails and so forth nor is there a plugin system or anything but it's a big step forward from where spring was um, a few years ago uh, and has meant that uh, for spring developers it's a big productive productivity boost uh, so of course, um, it made sense for Grails developers to be able to leverage all of the Spring Boot features um, and defaults and conventions and so forth. And that's why we built um, Grails 3 on top of Spring Boot. So that I, things like the actuator that comes with Spring Boot or can be added, that will be available in a Grails app then? Yeah, absolutely. And things like Spring Cloud, um, where you can you know, use all the Netflix stuff to uh, build your uh, cloud, cloud native uh, Grails applications and so on. That all works uh, perfectly in Grails 3.1 because it's based on Spring Boot 1.3 and so forth. So, um, so all of those features work great in Grails as well. And um, but of course, the benefit of Grails is you get all the greatness of GORM, the conventions, the consistency across the projects, the plugins, um, the community, and so on and so forth. So. Uh, and I still, you know, I'm still very much a believer in uh, when you have a language, uh, you need to optimize uh, the develop fr the frameworks need to optimize their developer experience for the language that they're built with. Uh, and Spring Boot is still very much optimized for Java developers around annotations and annotation-driven development and so forth. While Grails is very much op optimized around Groovy and uh, with the DSLs and um, conventions and uh, 
you know, uh, uses more dynamic features like weird queries and so forth, taking advantage of AST transforms and so on. Now, of course, that didn't seem like that's the way it was going to go at the beginning. Uh, Pivotal, with its support, seemed to be pushing Groovy as a major language for development of Spring Boot as well. And it was only when they withdrew their support back in uh, early last year that all the examples, et cetera, that were in Groovy seemed to have gone away from the website and things like that. Uh, are, have you seen people working? I mean, well, I guess I just asked generally, what's, what was your experience with all of that? So yeah, it was um, it was unfortunate. Um, I think that um, the there was a lot of turmoil within Pivotal at that phase um, in terms of um, a lot of uncertainty across the whole um, Spring team, not just Groovy and Grails, and um, and the the, the Pivotal as a company was not sure what direction they wanted to go in. They knew they wanted to be focused on Cloud Foundry. Um, I think what the Spring Boot guys did well uh, was to come up with a project, which is Spring Cloud, which resonated with the rest of the business at Pivotal well. Um, so Spring Cloud really does resonate with the rest of the Pivotal business and Cloud Native story. And that, um, uh, that helped them. Um, it, is unfortunate that we didn't necessarily, uh, and if, if there's a mistake I made, uh, it would be that um, we didn't uh, create a same, the same cloud native uh, resonation around Grails uh, internally uh, um, as the Spring team did. Um, having said that, you know, the Grails team was always very small within Pivotal, uh, whilst the Spring team is, you know, upwards of 30 people, we were three people. Um, so it was uh, difficult balancing a whole bunch of different, uh, different things. And the good news is now is that obviously now that we're outside of Pivotal, um, we're able to focus all of our investment effort on Grails and have a lot more flexibility of doing what's right for Grails. Um, and that's exactly what OCI is doing. Um, so now that Grails is part of OCI, you know, we've grown the team from two people back in May to uh, over 12 people now. Um, and, um, and because of that, we are able, Grails is seeing a lot more benefit and a lot more um, focused, focused effort on the project um, than it did before. Uh, so it's a net positive for the, for the project as a whole. It definitely felt like a short-term evil for a long-term good. I also agree with you. What what felt like as an outsider, the it felt like that um, that Pivotal decided to go all in on Cloud Foundry, as you say. Uh, I don't understand why they didn't see Grails as a major benefit for that because it was incredibly easy to publish Grails applications to Cloud Foundry and still is, frankly. So I don't know. But again, the fact that you're able to move to OCI seems to be a long-term benefit because they're heavily supporting the, the project and the people. Are What's your primary role at OCI in terms of this? So I'm continuing to lead the Grails project within OCI. Um, and um, provide leadership around there and engage with OCI's clients and help 
uh, Grails adoption with, within that, with our clients. Um, that's that is my role. How uh, often do you have to go to St. Louis? Uh, I've only been there once so far uh, last year, but um, I imagine I'll be there again this year. So, um, and we we of course meet up in conferences and so forth. Um, so, uh, a, a large part of the core team is is in St. Louis, but we also have a lot of remote folks as well. So, I do want to follow up with some of that, but let me ask you something before we get too far away from it. The the profiles in both three O and three point one are obviously very interesting. Uh, they look to be uh, an acknowledgement that the industry has changed and people don't necessarily want the traditional spring hibernate type of web app that generates a view for you anymore. Instead, as you say, they're headed more toward the restful service approach. The problem I've had with profiles, and it's a temporary thing, is that the documentation of the profiles of the existing ones is still a bit thin. I, I don't really know when I use a profile what I can and can't do and what it brings to the table and things like that. Is there an effort to improve that situation or does that have to be done by the individual profile developers? Yeah, so there is definitely um Things we can we can do to improve that. We tried to add as much documentation on the REST profile as possible to the core Grails docs, and that is there. Um, but I mean, a lot of it is um, we've also tried to add um, discovery tools. So, for example, if you type Grails profile info, and then the name of the profile, it'll give you information about what features, what commands are available when you use that profile. Um, so we're, we're trying to build in discoverability there as well. Um, but obviously a, a lot, a big thing that will help is um, obviously if the community start um, using these and uh, we see more blog posts, um, more information out there, the more usage we get, the more usage we drive, the more we'll see um, uh, people posting their experiences, which will help out there as well. And of course, you know, the documentation is open source. So if you see, um, areas of improvement that you think uh, could be improved with regarding to prof the profiles, then let us know and we will get right on them. Now the, the REST profile specifically, I, I remember when Grails 2.3 came out, one of the big changes there was the addition of things like the REST controller and the at resource annotation and things like that. So the REST profile I'm assuming is just building on top of all that infrastructure that's been around for a couple of versions now, is that correct? That is correct. So it's really just, as you say, removing the view parts. You mentioned asset pipeline as well. Is, is asset pipeline taken out of the REST profile? That's correct, yeah. So how do they optimize serving up anything static? I guess there isn't anything static. It's just, just JSON data. Correct. Oh, okay. I see that. And of course, I've seen a lot of interest over the years in this AngularJS approach, or frankly, any of the JavaScript MVC frameworks working with Grails. Uh, with AngularJS, uh, so do you include the libraries in the profile and you it, make it easy to make Angular controllers and, and models and everything, or is that considered just, we'll just give you the infrastructure and you build what you want to build? Absolutely. Uh, the, we use um, Bower to declaratively mm. declare your dependencies on various uh, JavaScript uh, libraries, such as Angular and so forth. And then Gradle will actually resolve those dependencies as well your JavaScript dependencies using Bower. Um, and then we have, you know, code generation commands to create 
uh, Angular controllers, Angular services, Angular models, um, and so on and so forth. So you can really easily spin up uh, your Angular application. Um, and then there's built-in testing with Karma. Um, so the whole thing is packaged up in a way that uh, makes sense uh, from an Angular and a Grails perspective. I have seen the, the REST profile stuff that was in the new or the latest edition of the user guide. Is there anywhere where people can learn about the Angular capabilities as well? Yes, there is a small section in the documentation. But again, that's something. Uh, it's actually nested within the REST profile documentation, which is maybe unfortunate. Um, but we would like, we, I think it is important to um, uh, long term to add a dedicated section on using Grails with singular pa single page uh, application frameworks like Angular. So um, I think that's certainly an area we can improve the documentation. The uh, other thing that changed, of course, right around the time of Grails 2. I guess it'd be about three or four was the controllers that were the generated controllers, the ones for the static scaffolding, now use the respond command rather than return, uh, redirect, or render. Mm -hmm. And I always feel like the documentation of respond is not clear either. There's a lot of, oh, if you respond, then you're going to get a, a model with the following name, but that name isn't called out anywhere. You know what I mean? I, I still feel like in order to find any information about the respond command, I've got to go look inside that one section on REST. Am I yeah. missing something obvious there? Is there some place I could find out how that what that mm. actually generates? You may well not be. I mean, it's, again, the respond command is all open source. Um, so And the documentation is all open source. So if you have any doubts, uh, <laughs> then uh, for sure, uh, raise them. Uh, raise, point out the particular section that you find confusing or, or um, unclear, and we can take a look at improving that and, and so forth. Just fair enough. I, I understand. I, it, if it's not there, then add it. Yeah, I just I just don't want to add it incorrectly. I want to make sure I've got no, it. Right. I'm not necessarily saying that you should add it yourself, but just, no. just um, creating an issue, pointing out the areas of confusion, that's a great way to provide feedback. Um, oh. And, um, you know, creating a GitHub issue saying, you know, this, this particular part of the documentation is really confusing. And I don't understand that and that. That provides us then with guidance um, on what areas to improve. Um, oftentimes, when you're working on a framework, uh, you do you can get uh, a bit into um, uh, in a silo in terms of not understanding the user's perspective um, and user stories and user experiences told through GitHub issues is, uh, is absolutely help helpful and a valid way to contribute to the framework. That's very interesting because I think a lot of people are either not aware of that or they don't spend a lot of time doing that. Uh, I always make sure when I talk to people, I suggest that they download the code for an open source project, not necessarily for the implementation, but for the tests, you know, because that's usually a very good guide as to how the developers intended the features to be used. But it, I never really think to tell them, oh, by the way, you should check out the JIRA issues or the, the GitHub uh, issues that are raised on the project as well. Uh, I should ask, uh, now you you see a lot of companies that are working with Grails or adopting Grails. Have you seen changes in what they're doing or how they're approaching things? Has there been a rise in this approach of using Grails for, for REST or JSON, or is it still traditional apps? What What's your experience in the industry? 
Yeah, absolutely. We are seeing um, fewer monolithic apps, um, more smaller uh, individual Grails applications serving uh, REST web services, and um, definitely a strong interest in uh, single-page application frameworks, whether that be Angular or React or Ember or whatever it may be. So, um, so there's, there's definitely a trend in that direction. How's the adoption of Grails 3? Have you seen, a, uh, is that making significant inroads into the marketplace? Yes, no, we're, we're happy with the adoption progress so far. Uh, we've been helping a number of clients as well um, upgrade their applications from Grails 2.x to Grails 3.x. Um, and um, obviously, it was a big change for the community, and we're aware of that it's a uh, fundamental rewrite of the way things were done before. Um, and it's not something that's going to happen overnight, but we're now seeing uh, more and more plugins for Grails 3 being developed, um, more and more uh, issues being reported. Uh, whilst before, maybe we were seeing more Grails 2 issues, now we're seeing more Grails 3 issues um, being reported. And um, a certain, definitely a rise in adoption of, of Grails 3 over the last six months. I've certainly changed my experience with Grails to use, for example, the interactive console a lot more than I used to. It's uh, incredible how fast that is now. I mean, it used to be that using the Grails interactive console was pretty much the same as doing any generation in the IDE. Now you hit create controller, create whatever, and it's just done immediately. It's, it's really, really very nice. Uh, that's also helped the IDE story, of course, going to Gradle as the build tool. Have you been happy with that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we, we have... Um... It has been a uh, interesting experience um, adopting Gradle, and we've um, we have um, we've got significant benefit um, from it um, in terms of having a robust build system underneath Grails and so forth. Um, we've also um, been learning from some of the maybe limitations or potential improvements that can be added to Gradle in future and feeding that back to the Gradle team. Uh, so I think there'll, there'll be some um, definite improvements um, for the Gradle support uh, over the coming months as well. What do you personally use for development? Do you use IntelliJ? Do you use an IDE at all? I mean, what do you happen to like? Depends what I'm doing. I flip between Sublime and uh, IntelliJ. That depends what I'm doing. Yeah, the one real casualty of the whole move away from Pivotal seems to be the Eclipse plugin. Uh, the Eclipse plugin for Groovy still seems to work, more or less, but the Grail support is, well, it was, it was falling apart even when their things were going on. Have you heard any interest in anybody picking that up or trying to build up the Eclipse capabilities inside Grails again? Um, the Grails capabilities inside Eclipse. I think I said it backwards. Yeah, uh, we um, uh, we've been trying to find uh, somebody who's been interested in taking that over uh, so far uh, unsuccessfully, um, but um, we're hopeful that could be the case in the future. Um, but having said that, I mean the the support never really reached the point of being um, fully mature. 
um, anyway. Uh, mm. So, and now with IntelliJ being free in terms of the community edition and pretty much usable as well, um, I don't see it as big a, as an issue as it was previously. Um, but certainly, it would be nice if there was somebody um, out there with uh, Eclipse experience who would pick that up. Um, uh, but we have no immediate plans to pick that up ourselves or anything. Yeah, for those who are not aware, uh, the move to Gradle made it much more easy to use uh, Rails inside of any IDE because then any IDE that can support a Gradle project will understand how to use it. And then you can, I mean, you may not have any IDE specific features if you don't want them. Like in the community edition of IntelliJ, they support Gradle projects and they have Groovy as a plugin, but they don't have a, the Grails plugin only comes with the ultimate edition. Uh, but if, if you're willing to use the interactive console, which is very easy in, in IntelliJ and just use the IDE for syntax highlighting and compiling and things like that, it's very, very usable. So I, I think Jeff Brown has mentioned he does that a lot. Uh, you do something similar, but you also use Sublime, you're saying? Yeah, um, oftentimes, uh, for many things, uh, an IDE is overkill. Um, so it depends what I'm doing, as I said. OK, and uh, now, what are your plans for the future? Is there a, a I don't know what to say, uh, the, the basically layout of future improvements that are scheduled for Grails? Is there going to be a jump to a 4? Is it 3.2, 3.3, et cetera? Uh, I forget, uh, is there anything like that available? Uh, we're now focused on 3.1.x uh, line and then 3.2. Um, in 3.2, uh, we are planning some improvements around um, GORM in terms of offering a more robust asynchronous uh, experience there around GORM. Um, and uh, the um, continuing to uh, extend the profiles, uh, in particular the AngularJS profile, to support things like uh, dynamic scaffolding and um, and so on and so forth, so that you can easily uh, spin up um, an Angular application uh, as run, as well as just the creation commands that we have now. Um, and those kind of uh, incremental improvements. And then uh, in Grails, uh, further down, down the line, in Grails 3.3, we're, we're looking at um, extending Grails to support things like reactive programming models with uh, potentially Jetty deployment targets and so forth. So um, we have uh, a well-thought-out roadmap that uh, spans over the next year, year or so. And the roadmap is available on, on the website as well on, on the github um oh okay uh roadmap was the word i was looking for couldn't find for some reason so you say the roadmap is available on is it on the grails website or the github repository or both there are links from the website but it's on the github uh wiki and the the github repo as i recall is uh slash uh grails i think it's just grails right the organization is grails and then grails core is uh, grails core right there are the um, the profiles there as well, or is there a different site for profiles for people who want to look into those? They're under the same organization, but uh, uh, project is called Grails Profile Repository. Grails Profiles, I'm sorry, what was that? Repository. Oh, repository, okay. Uh, I also have noticed, of course, now that things like Spring Security have been updated for Grails 
X, that I expect the adoption to grow there as well. I think a lot of people were waiting for that one in particular, that one always traditionally being the number one most used plugin for all of Grails. Uh, so you're seeing a huge number of plugins have been converted so far and, and are scheduled to, to move over? Yeah, we, I mean, you got to remember that many plugins were um, uh, not candidates for moving across. Um, so I know we were at like 1,200 plugins for Grails 2, and we're nowhere near that number yet, but we're already around 150 or so for Grails 3, um, which is uh, pretty good going. Um, and I think uh, that will continue to, that growth will continue. So you mentioned that one of the things you do is you travel to conferences and give talks on Grails-related topics. What's your schedule look like this year? Do you have uh, what major conferences are you hoping to attend and present at? So I guess the next one will be Greech. Um, and then um, we have uh, the uh, Great Great Conf Europe and G3 Summit, I believe, is coming up, um, Great Conf US. Um, and then I'll probably look at also doing some of the more key uh, Java conferences um, as well. So, Do you have any particular topics in mind that you hope to present on, or it will just be generic uh, Rails 3.1 improvements? Depends on the conference, obviously. I think for uh, an experienced Rails audience, you would maybe present on Rails 3.1 topics of interest and so forth, but uh, for a uh, beginner's audience, you would want to do some more uh, introductory material. Well, that leads me to one other question. Uh, when you are, I mean, you've now encountered so many people who've adopted Grails or used it in practice or things like that. Is there any one or two specific things you'd like them to do or any one or two specific things you'd like them to avoid when using Grails? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's always, uh, pitfalls and and um, issues that you can run into. I don't think I don't know if there's anything specific I can point out off the top of my head, but uh, you know we try and guide uh, people through that, and you know that's why we also OCI offers um, training as well um, for new um, new girls developers to help them avoid those kind of pitfalls. Well, I remember specifically the when Grails 3.0 was first released, that took out the dynamic scaffolding part, uh, which was supposedly largely driven by performance considerations. Too many people were using dynamic scaffolding, but then leaving it into production code, which led to a lot of problems. Uh, but then that was restored. Is there? That's the sort of thing I was wondering about. Is there anything that you want to say? Please don't do this because you keep running into it over and over again. Um. I don't think there's anything standing out that's that frequent that people always run into it. But um, um, yeah, uh, probably fix your damn Java home environment variable, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good. Of course. I've noticed, by the way, that improvements in the static scaffolding with the fields plugin have made that whole situation a lot easier to work with. Uh, now, of course, what I mostly do is I mostly teach technical training classes. So I'm dealing with beginners to the framework a lot. And, mm -hmm. and using something like that is very helpful for them. Uh, right. So 
but I just wondered in practice when you see people using it in the industry, do they write their own controllers from scratch? Do they uh, try to use some auto-generated code? Or do they do all everything, all of the above? I think it's all of the above. We've had people complaining about fields and that they want their um, they want their to be able to their have their hand coded uh, pages mm -hmm. back or whatever. So yeah, who's um, the, who's in charge of the fields plugin? I don't remember offhand. As community, you know, I, I think I committed to it most recently, but we have a whole bunch of people who commit to that project. So. Not willing to put anybody in the spot on the podcast, huh? No, I'm kidding. No, no, there isn't any one person. There's a variety of people who contribute to that one. So, okay. Uh, is there anything I've left out? Anything you would like to say uh, or address at this point? Uh, no, I think we've covered all of it. Um, thanks very much for for having me on the podcast. Oh, it's wonderful to have you here. And by the way, I should one thing I should mention, by the way, is that the Grail Slack channel is quite active, and uh, you're on there a lot, right? You seem to answer many questions on the Slack channel. Yeah, I'm there. Um, I try to help out where I can. Uh, I think uh, so does the rest of the team. So it's a good way to uh, engage with the community. I think we have nearly 1,500 people now. So. Uh, come and join the conversation. Absolutely. And thank you very much for appearing. And, and I do wish you the best of luck with Grails. And, and I, it seems to you seem to be very happy at OCI. I hope they do very well in the future as well. Uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. Take care. Take care.